God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're continuing our walk through the Gospel of John, and um, some texts, uh, particularly the Gospel of John, are, are very hard to work with, because uh, you're not quite sure all the time where Jesus is going, there's multiple themes, it's hard to preach on a text. This is not one of those texts. This one's pretty easy. Jesus says this. Let me just count the words he says. Testify, testimony, or testifies. Here we go. One. Testify, testifies, testimony, testified, testimony, testimony, testify, testified, testify, there we go. Nine. So I'm going to talk about testimony today. Sound good? Good choice? Thank you. And I, I haven't talked about our trip to Cuba. So the team's talked about our trip to Cuba, but, but I haven't talked about my experiences in Cuba. So I'd like to share that with you today. Um, as uh, many of you know, we sent a team, and I always say we sent a team of eight people. And I give you the numbers of how many people uh, we spoke with and how many people received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. But Phil reminded me, that we really sent 10 people. Eight were from our church, and two were from East-West Ministries. And because they were in a leadership capacity, because it's part of their, their role with the ministry, we paid for their trip as well. And it's a good thing, because if we had not paid for them, we would still be waiting at the airport in Cuba going, uh, someone's supposed to pick us up. Someone who speaks Spanish is supposed to pick us up. <laughs> so, uh, Phil... What were those numbers again? The total team numbers? Because Phil always reminds me, he's like, you've got to get the total numbers because we pay for everybody. So. I think we witnessed to like 344 people. Yep. And out of that, it was like 268. Yeah. So. 268. Um, as Jesus says, that the fields are white for harvest. People are ready to receive the gospel in Cuba. I remember last year speaking with my translator. He's Waldo. Waldo the translator. That was funny. Like, Where's Waldo? <laughs> the Americans thought it was hilarious. The Cubans are like, what are you talking about? And so uh, Waldo said to me, he goes, when you go back home, will you do this back home? And I said, like, go door to door and talk to people about Jesus? He said, yes. I said, no way. He goes, why not? He said, I said, it'll never work. He said, really, why? I said, people would never let us in their homes. He said, do they think you're going to steal something? I said, no, they just don't care. He goes, oh, I thought America was a Christian nation. I said, I thought so too. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, it hasn't been for a long time. And Cuba isn't either. But it's a nation ready for Jesus. Because they're hungry for hope. And so uh, the second day, I went out. And I went out. This was our team. So on the far left is our, our translator. And he was phenomenal. Because he was also the leader of the, the whole group. Uh, both our team and the uh, Cuban translators as well. And uh, so he had to carry everyone around, including my, my, my butt. Uh, so he had a big job. And then that day, that was our guide. So when we work, we go to a, a local church, or churches, as the case may be. 
and we partner with a person from that local church. This is important for two reasons. One, door-to-door -door evangelism in Cuba is illegal. But if you make appointments and you meet with people and you have appointments, that's okay, that's legal. So it's important for that reason. The second reason is uh, we want to connect people with the church after we leave. It's critical. We don't want to say, you received Jesus? Great, pray the prayer, all right, we're gone, see ya, good luck, right? We want to connect people to community because community is critical as we follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Both corporate community here in worship and small group community is critical as we follow Jesus. So we always partner with the local church every single time. And as we're, we're walking from this little house church, uh, the lady says to me in Spanish, and it's translated, of course, she says, I've been praying for you for weeks. And I've been praying for the families we're going to talk to for weeks. So today will be a good day. So here's a lady who, who understands that testimony begins with prayer. Begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. And we're walking down this, this dirt road into a very, very humble neighborhood. And she said to me, I, we're going to a house and I was going to invite, uh, I was going to ask these people if they would receive a visit. And I was walking to the door and I turned around because I did not want to go there. But God made me go back. And so we're going to go to this house. I said, how come you didn't want to go to this house? And she said, well, the family there, they have two sons. And those two boys, along with another boy, uh, killed two of my cows. I went, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh. And she said, yes, yes. Um, I said, wow, um, how's that going with, between you and this family? She said, well... Um, it's, it's rough. I would like to forgive them, but the mom believes her boys are innocent. So I, I can't forgive them because the mom thinks her boys didn't do it. But I got a letter from the third boy, and he, he apologized, and he said uh, that they wouldn't have done it if they knew it was my two cows. He wrote me from jail, in prison. I said, well, it'd be cool to share forgiveness with those kids when they get out of jail. And she said, well, if I'm still around. So what do you mean? She says, well, the penalty for killing a cow in Cuba is 18 years in prison. And I stopped walking. Like, are you serious? And, she's, and, the, and the interpreter steps and goes, yes, she is serious. I said, what's the penalty for killing a person? And the interpreter goes, oh, I don't know, 12, 13, maybe 15 years. I'm like, it's less for a person than a cow? And he goes, well, the government owns the cows. Welcome to Cuba. <laughs> so we go to this house. As you can tell in the background, it's, it's a wood frame. You can see holes through the roof. Uh, the walls are just put together. It's, it's a shack. Uh, many of you have sheds that are in better condition than this house. And it's funny, when we got there, it was the, it was the mom and a couple little, the little girl and then as their conversation kept going, people kept coming into the room. Like neighbors would come in. They heard the American was in town. So they'd come in, they'd come in, they'd come in. Pretty soon we had a good-sized group. We talked about Jesus. We talked about grace. We talked about repentance. We talked about the cross. 
At the end, I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And everyone there said yes. And we gathered in a circle, and everyone, including the mom and this uh, young woman uh, whose cows had been killed, we prayed. She was right. It was a good day. The next day, we went to a different church. Uh, this one was in uh, Venezuela. So we went to Venezuela in, in Cuba, a little, little town there. And we got there, and again, we partnered with the local church. This is the church building. That's it right there. Uh, they're working on building a new structure. It's going to be a cinder block structure. It's going to have a church building and their own bathroom. So they don't have to use the pastor and his wife's bathroom for church. That's the building. That's where they worship. It's pretty cool. And so, uh, again, I was partnered with a local church person, and this time it was the pastor's wife at this local church. And uh, we started going out, and we met with the first family, and the first family lived right next door to the church, and uh, they worshipped uh, Lazarus. So in Cuba, there's a religion called Centuria, and it's a mixture of Catholicism and really voodoo. It's kind of take some Catholic saints and, and some just horrible stuff from, from voodoo, witchcraft, and they, they mesh them all together. And he had an, this family had an altar in the corner. And so when you walk in the house, you know right away kind of what you're dealing with when you sit down. And they live right next door to the church. They're good friends with the pastor and his wife because they're, they're neighbors, right? It's the church is his house, their house. But um, I refused. Uh, just clinging to those idols. We went, just again, next door to another family and talking with this family. And while we're there, the, the translator gets a phone call on his cell phone. And I can tell by his voice, he's, he's very concerned. So um, he, looks, he turns to me and says, I need to go. She speaks English. She's going to be your translator. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, so he leaves, and sure enough, uh, the pastor's wife did speak English, but very poorly. So we had the, uh, these gospel tracts in English and Spanish. So I read the English part, and she ran the Spanish part, and it worked. It, it took care of itself. It was okay. And his family, um, again, they also received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're walking back to the church. We get there. We found out what happened. The authorities had called uh, this pastor and had said to him, we know the Americans are there. We know what you're doing. You better watch out. So we had lunch at this church. And um, these nice folks, they prepared the meal for us and did all the work. Just wonderful. And there were other pastors who were there from the area because we had sent people out to different small villages, towns. And so these pastors are all there. And we got our team together. So we huddled up with our team. We said, what are we going to do? We said, you know what? We're not at risk. And the worst they can do to us is send us home. We're not at risk. But these pastors here, they're at huge risk. Because a nation that will send you to jail for 18 years for killing a cow, 
they'll send you to jail for a year for doing anything they don't like. And sure enough, the pastor of this church had spent some time in prison for following Jesus, for being a pastor. So we got the pastor together and said, it's your call, but this is not our decision. It's, it's your decision. And the pastor of this church here said, Jesus said his word, we would face persecution. So we are doing the right thing. We will go back out this afternoon. And all the other pastors, they said, yep, we agree. Let's do it. Let's go. So we went back out that afternoon. But my translator is the pastor's wife. And she is scary. We sit down with a gentleman, and he's sitting kind of like in his front porch area. And we meet with him, we pull up a couple chairs, and I can tell that she does not like the fact that we're meeting outside. And he's a big talker, he likes to talk a lot. So the visit's going, going on a little bit longer. And finally, in the middle of the visit, she looks at me and she says, hurry up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's nervous. I look at my translator and said, I, I can't go fast and with the translating in different language. Can you take over? He goes, yes. Starts talking so fast, the guy can't interrupt him. <laughs> and uh, he also receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. We're walking back, and the pastor's wife says to me, I have no more appointments. We are done for the day. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. So that was that visit. Next day, went to another place. And uh, you can see the guy in the middle with the strap around him. He's the, the gentleman with the blue shirt. He was our local church guy that day. And we... Um, we're going to a town, not at his church, but we're going to a village about, uh, I'd say, eight, 10 miles away. Not a big deal, right? But very few people have cars. So in this poor place, to get somewhere, you ride a bike or a horse and buggy. Phil, did you get a horse and buggy ride that day? No. No, you didn't get one. You got, Shannon, you got a horse and buggy. And Judy, did you get one too? Yeah. So a lot of our team got horse and buggy rides that day. I didn't. I was bummed. But I went with this guy. He's a photographer. He had a, he had a nice camera. So um, uh, very few people did in Cuba. So that was kind of special. And um, we're driving out to this village. And as we're driving, we pick up these hitchhikers. Because hitchhikers are everywhere in Cuba because people don't have cars. Right? So they'll hitchhike. And so they, they jump in our van. And uh, uh, the translator says to me, they are safe. You can share Jesus with them. I'm like, where are they going? Oh, we're, we're going to the same village. Well, how much time do we have? You have eight minutes. <laughs> okay, here we go. And um, I'm like, this is great. We can share Jesus with people, with all the hitchhikers. And we won't let them out until they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is fantastic. Uh, it was a teenage couple, and uh, they received Jesus in the van. We hop out, and the gentleman takes me to this home. 
Uh, the home is owned by the, the older lady in the flower print uh, dress. And I, I learned the story. This photographer had been hitchhiking uh, to this village for the past year. And he'd been kind of talking about Jesus with people in this village because there was no church there. And because people don't have cars, they couldn't get to their church. So he thought he would start a church out there. And so he started talking to folks and inviting people. And they invited their friends. And they invited their friends. And they invited their friends. And by the time I got there, that's how many people they had over the year. And the photographer says to me, he goes, they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We were waiting for you. I'm like, really? Oh, no, this is a special day. We wanted you to be here. And we wanted you to do it. So in our numbers, we tell you, we say 262 people received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because we went there, and it's an absolute lie. It's not an absolute lie. It is a, it's a quarter of a lie. They've been preparing the ground. They've been praying. They've been talking to their friends. We walk in, and, and I hate to say the word, but we kind of close the deal. And so everyone there received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Because this guy, this photographer, decided he would hitchhike to this village every Sunday after church and talk to people about Jesus. The best part is we drove back to the church, picked up three more hitchhikers, shared Jesus with them, and they received too. Right? It was a good day. I want to I want you to grab your, your reading from here, from your bulletin there. It's first, Second Corinthians chapter five. Jump down to verse eighteen. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was not reconciling the world to Himself. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, and whenever you're reading Paul's letters, whenever he says therefore, that's his main point. He's been building up to this point right here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. When you are baptized into Christ and his name is put on you, you become an ambassador of Jesus. So imagine. Imagine you're at a state function. You're in Washington, D.C. You've been invited to this big State Department function. And you are meeting ambassadors of other nations. So you meet them. You say, hello, how are you? What are you doing? The person says, well, my name is so-and-so, and I am the United States ambassador to... Ireland, right? Wow, great job, good job. Well, what do you do? Well, I represent us 
over there. Great. You meet another person. What do you do? And she says, well, I am the ambassador to, uh, I don't know, uh, Poland. Right? Fantastic. Well, what do you do? Well, I represent us over there. That's what ambassadors do. Imagine you met someone at the state dinner and you said, well, what do you do? And you, the person said, well, I am the ambassador to America. You're the United States representative to the United States? Yes. I represent the United States, the United States. And you say, isn't that a little redundant? The person says, well, yes, but I'm a little scared and I don't like to travel. And I don't like being out there, so I stay right here. And you say, you know what? You're not a very good ambassador. You sound like a congressman. And you're doing a very bad job. <laughs> Ambassadors don't work here. Ambassadors work out there. That's where they work. Now they come back. Ambassadors always come back. 